the summit in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Rick Ruby and Carolina Panthers tight end Greg Olson. What a day! You all are playing so strong. I'm proud of you. Give yourselves a round of applause. You actually look like finely chiseled athletes out there today. Going to classes, asking questions. I'm going to close the show. We're going to get out of here about 5.15, have a party tonight, rock and roll. Then Monday reality starts. Now we got to change. Change is what? It ain't good. It sucks. <laughs> but change is mandatory, people. You can't change, you die. You don't get better, you get what? You get worse. This is a choice. Now listen. How many were athletes growing up, high school? I wasn't even that good in high school, but I wanted to be good in high school. I wanted to be really good. I wasn't good enough. But when I got in sales, it started all over again. This is sales. At your level, what you guys make, making over 250, it's like being a college athlete. Making over 500, a million dollars a year, it's like being a professional athlete. We're lucky today. I bring you all kind of people on Friday. I go all over the place, get some crazy people. Lou Holtz, Chuck Daly, Scotty Bowman, Muggsy Bogues, my friend 5'7", 17 years in the NBA. Unbelievable people that overcome adversity. Let me tell you, we're lucky today. Really lucky. I know sometime I bring these rundown athletes that are tired and old. I know that, okay? I brought you a fresh one this time, okay? I brought you one currently playing, dominating for my town, Carolina Panthers. So listen, this man's getting it done. He's overcoming a ton of adversity. I did think he would be bigger. I was a little disappointed when I saw him on the escalator. He's more imposing looking with pads on. But listen, been in the league a while, does a great job, got a great story. I want you to give him a core welcome to my man, Greg Olson! good now? All right, there we go. So it's December 2013. Two weeks earlier, the um, New Orleans Saints just embarrassed us Sunday night primetime football. We went to their place, the Superdome. We were coming off six, seven wins in a row. We were on top of the world. Everyone's talking about us, led by Cam Newton, high-flying, um, whole deal. We go into the Superdome. They embarrass us. We come home, our tail between our legs. Are we really that good? Is this season, were we just beating bad teams? Have we really done anything of significance to be where everyone thinks we are? Two weeks later, we have the opportunity to play the New Orleans Saints again, this time at our place. Again, two weeks earlier, they beat us 30 points in the NFL. That's, that's about as embarrassing as it gets. The week before, two weeks before, they end up getting upset by the St. Louis Rams to put us in position where if we win that game and the final game against our two division opponents, New Orleans at home and Atlanta on the road, we win the division and we go to the playoffs for the first time since 2008. So the whole game, it's back and forth, back and forth. We're losing 13-10. We hadn't moved the ball an inch the entire game. Their defense was killing us. We got the ball, called twins left, quick on right, sticky, X-Magic. We break the huddle. We get lined up. I'm just supposed to run six yards, turn out, and if, if we're just trying to pick up a couple more yards, at very least kick a field goal, go into overtime. There's, prob there's less than 30 seconds left on the clock. I think we have, one, we have about one more timeout left, so we can stop the clock one more time. So the guy comes up. They show they got no safeties in the middle of the field. There's a guy up lined up right on my head. And all I do is I just turn. I look at Cam. 
just give him a little fist. I run up. We run the route like we're supposed to, and we end up just calling a different play. He zips it in there. We gain 15 yards. We run up. We stop the clock. Next play, touchdown. We win the game. We win the division. We clinch the playoffs. At the most pressure-packed moment of our season, our season's on the line. We can play it safe. We're in field goal range. We have an all-pro kicker. We, can, we haven't moved the ball. We have not scored the entire half. At what, what at that moment allowed us, in the biggest moment of our season, to have the clarity, the composure, and the ability with one fist and one just eye contact in the middle of him calling his, calling his play? 65,000, 70,000 people screaming. All things are going on. You've played 65 plays before that, so you're tired. You go, and we, we changed the play at the line. We hit it. There's three reasons. And I think these three things are the key to not only sports, I think they're the key to life, business, relationships, marriage. And there are three components that through my life have followed me my entire journey from being a young kid dreaming of being a, a football player to now being able to stand in front of you going into my eighth season in the NFL. All good things are composed of three things. And the number one commodity in this world is people. You could have the greatest business model. You can have the greatest products. People sell and people are what makes up all good businesses, teams, marriages. Without And, and what do I mean by good people? I'm not talking about talented people. I'm talking about accountable people. People that you know, if I show up and my livelihood and my job depends on you doing your job, I can look at you when we say break and I got it. When I say, I know, you know exactly. I know that you're the type of person, not the type of football player, not the type of businessman, not the type of, the type of person, that because of who you are, what you stand for, and, and, and how important this is to you, that you got me. And I got you. We can look at each other as 11 guys in that huddle, and when we say break, we know all 11 guys. Now, are we going to do it right? Are we going to do it wrong? Is that other guy going to be better than us? Maybe. And just in your world, there's a lot of guys better than me. I don't win every person. Every, the football is about every play. When we say break and we go up and we say hut and that ball snap, you have a seven-second one-on-one personal battle. Eleven guys versus eleven guys. I lose a lot of them. But the reason that you make it is not at your skill level. It's, it's who you are. What drives you? What motivates you? So a little backstory. So growing up in Wayne, I grew up in Wayne, New Jersey. Son of a football coach. Forty years High school football coach. Could have went on, coached, you know, he was a high school football coach like you, like you read about, like a lot of you had growing up. He was hard. He was not only hard as a football coach, he was hard on us as a father. All three boys. I had an older brother who was a year ahead of me, and I have a younger brother actually plays right down the road here at the University of Miami. All three of his kids, full Division I scholarships. Two of them have already graduated. My older brother from the University of Virginia and me from the University of Miami as well, and now my third brother, my second brother, the third, the youngest of us is now down the road. We grew up in a family where who you were and how you did things were more important than how good you were. At, at the end of our youth basketball games, I'll never forget, we, we'd be sitting on the bench after the games, and whether we won or lost, and we would always look over. And, my, and we knew how our ride home was going to be from that gym or that football field to our house because my dad would either go... Or he would go, 
And it wasn't because I didn't score 30 points. It wasn't because I dropped a touchdown pass. It was somewhere along the line, I did something on the court field, baseball diamond, that disappointed him because of how I reflected on me and because of the way I acted, how I reflected on them as our parents and then how I reflected on my team and our family. It was more important as kids from our parents that we represented how we were taught and raised as children on the field than it was how good we were. Fortunately, we were good enough that we were able to continue. But I'm talking things of, did you get back and hustle on defense? In our, and it's crazy, in our family, little things like that, you missed the shot. Did you put your head down and walk and now it's five on four because you didn't get back and play defense? Or did you miss your shot, turn, sprint down, steal the ball and get it back and now you're back? That meant more to our dad. That meant more to us. Of That was how we were taught. That was the priorities of our lives. We're now growing up through high school as now we start formulating our own decisions. That set the structure for everything that I did the rest of my life. I never said as a six-year-old, I'm going to play in the NFL. It, it was never in my even wildest dreams. You know, you hear these guys say, oh, from the time I was six, all I wanted to do was play in the NFL. I don't buy that. Maybe I'm a bad example. You know what I wanted to do when I was in sixth grade? I wanted to walk on the varsity football team and play for my dad. That's what I wanted to do because I was the water boy. I was tired of carrying the water jugs. I was tired of running out and getting the tea or holding the balls. I wanted to play. My dream was to play with my brother, the two of us, to play for my dad and win the state championship. That was the biggest thing in my world when I was in middle school. And then an opportunity came. Sophomore year. I'm able, my brother's a junior, and we're able to play together. We went three straight years, my brother's sophomore year, my sophomore year, my junior year, when he was a senior, all three years, made it to the state championship, all three years we lost. Every single year, we get right there, we lost. My dad lost eight consecutive years, he lost the state championship. Lost. Then comes my senior year. Fortunately, by that point... I had been in a position where I'd have the opportunity to pick and choose which college I would go to. It came down to the University of Notre Dame and the University of Miami. My older brother, the year before, had signed a letter of intent. He was a freshman at the University of Notre Dame on their football team the year they had that awesome run when Tyrone Willingham was their coach. My senior year, go through all that. Can't wait. I'm finally a senior, right? This thing that I had waited for my whole life, not to play in the NFL, not to get drafted, not to buy your mom a car. I wanted to be a high school senior and play on the football team. That year, we go 12-0, and we win the state championship. My world is complete. At, at that time, that's all I knew. My dreams of my whole entire childhood were accomplished. I go on to the University of Notre Dame, where I sign my letter of intent to follow my big brother. After a short while there, just wasn't for us. And for I know a lot of you guys are from Chicago and that Midwest. Those Notre Dame winters, they're not for everybody. So I had to make that sacrifice, and uh, after a couple weeks, before school even enrolled my freshman year, I transferred down to the University of Miami, and that was step two. And, and before I go any further, who I was as a kid controlled the rest of my entire life. The lessons that I learned as a kid about who I was and what was important to me and what my priorities were and what I stood for ended up following me for the rest of my life. And that brings me to my, to, again, to number two. The process of preparation, you can be a great person, you can have good qualities, you can have positive qualities and, and seek to have positive results, 
But without those two, without my goal of winning a state championship as a child from when I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, if there was no preparation, if there was no process of preparation, then it's just those are just dreams and goals. Right. So that's the difference between a dream and a goal. Everyone has dreams. A goal is something you say, okay, here, this is my next step. And what am I going to do between then and there to accomplish that? And that's why I I have this conversation with my younger brother all the time. He doesn't want to listen to me, though, but it's easy. What what's important to you? Identify it. But more important than that is what what are we going to do to get there? Right. Like what all of a sudden you don't just wake up one day and say, oh, here I am. I've reached the top of my game. Whether that's you guys coming here or me on spring break in college when all of your when all your college buddies are going to Panama Beach and they're going to the Bahamas or they're driving down the Key West. I'm staying here. And my my wife now, who was my girlfriend at the time, maybe she would go, maybe she would stay. But all her girlfriends, all her sorority sisters are going. But at the time, I knew I knew what my qualities were. I knew what type of person I was. I knew now, okay, I accomplished my goal. Now step two, I need to, I want to play football at a high level at a major university. I got my scholarship. Here I am. But I walk in first day. And for those football, for those of you who don't know football, fine. But for those of you who do, these names are going to ring a bell. I step on campus at the University of Miami. I'm on the scout team. I'm a freshman. I'll never play as a freshman. Our tight end was a first team All-American, Kellen Winslow. A lot of you probably even know his father, Kellen Winslow Sr., arguably the greatest tight end in the history of football. So I wasn't playing over him. First day, break, we walk out to the – so now, if for any of you who don't know, the scout team services the, the, the real deal guys, right? Like, where they're tackling dummies, we're simulating the team you're about to play. So, like, I'm playing Virginia Tech's tight end or Syracuse or whoever, okay? And I break, I turn around, and they're, they're waiting there. And it's Sean Taylor, DJ Williams. Jonathan Vilma, Antrell Roll. All four of those guys, by the way, were first-round draft picks. Vince Wilfork, first-round draft pick. I mean, I, so here I am, and I'm saying, all I ever wanted was to get to this level. And now I'm here. I'm not sure I belong here. Like, I'm some, some kid from Wayne, New Jersey, who was used to being the biggest kid on the playground. And now all of a sudden I walk in, and I, I'm lucky I can even get out of my stance. But again, just you reset all right, who am I? All right, I know the type of person I am. I will do what's necessary to achieve my next step. But now what is that next step? Okay, I want to play at a major university. But now what am I willing to do? What am I willing to sacrifice to get there, right? You can't have it your way. So I tell my brother this all the time. Like, there's no three ways, right? There's no do it by what everyone says, choose not to do it because you don't choose to, or do it your way, right? Like doing it your way, that, that part is not, that's not in the equation. If you don't want to do something according to someone else's rules, then you have to do something, do something else, right? You don't get to change it. I didn't get to tell the coach, hey, can we move practice around? You know, it doesn't really fit my schedule. I want to go out to the Coconut Grove, right? Like that's not the way the world works. So from an early age, I had to learn, hey, if I want to be able to compete with these guys who naturally maybe at a different level than I am, what can I do to make up that spread? Well, you know what I was willing to do? I was willing to make a lot of those sacrifices. I wasn't one of the guys that needed every Thursday night to be out at the Grove because that was where the whole school was, and then you're coming into 7 a.m. workouts, and safe to say you're a little sluggish on Friday. Some guys are willing to do it. Some can get away with it. Some can't. But you know what that did? Job security. The way I looked at it was if people weren't willing to do it my way, all they were is being filtered out, right? So we talk about all these kids that do it at a high school level, then it goes to the college level, then it goes to... 
along the way, there's a lot of factors. It's not physical. It's like what I talked about in the beginning. It's not how good you are. Some people are born good. Some people are born average. Some people are born below average. But the average and below average people, there are things that can be done to reach that high level. And it sucks to sit there and see the guy who just has to wake up and he's just good. I'm sure there's a lot of you sitting out there. Trust me, it, it, it's in our world, too. They don't work out. They don't train. They eat whatever they want. And the second they walk in the gym, they're the best player. Great. That doesn't impact me. Again, it's what you control. It's what your process, what your preparation entails to get to that next step. So, again, here I am. I'm in college. What am I willing to do? I'm willing to do what maybe the other 18, 19-year-old kids aren't willing to do. I'm willing to sacrifice those nights out. I'm willing to maybe not go on spring break to Panama Beach with the rest of the kids. Because at that time, every decision I made from my high school through college, at the end of the day, there was one motivating factor. What decision, is this decision going to have a positive or a negative impact on my goals of playing here at the University of Miami? If the answer was even remotely close to this was going to hurt my chances in the slightest way, I wasn't going to do it. Now, is that to say I made great choices my whole life when I was eight? Of course not. We were all 18, 19 in college, right? So I'm not sitting up here and saying that I'm some perfect human that just did everything so right, because I'm for sure not. But if that's your intent, if that's what you use to guide your major decisions and try to navigate the crazy world that we live in, if you, if you have that as kind of your, your compass, you're going to end up kind of in the right direction, right? It'll, it'll continue to funnel you towards that end goal. So again, I was fortunate enough after my first year of redshirting at the University of Miami. Next year, I was the, I was the backup. Played in two tight end type sets behind another very talented guy. Played 25 snaps a game, whatever. Solid, nothing spectacular. Then I was able to have two years. I was the guy getting ready for the NFL draft. Through those years... It becomes, okay, what's my next step, right? So we talk about, I had my goal. I wanted to be able to win my state championship and play on the high school team. That's all that's become my life. It encompassed me. Okay, now next, I want to be able to play at a high level at a major university. Goal accomplished. What's next? All right, I want to get drafted. I want to be a first-round draft pick into the NFL. There's only 32 a year. Each team gets one, barring trades. But for the most part, there's, there's one a team. There's only 32 guys. There's, just, for, just for numbers purposes, there's 117 Division I-A colleges. Each of those colleges gets 80 football scholarships. So if you divide that by four years, it's an average of 20 scholarships per grade. So you have 20 kids times 117. That's just Division I-A. Then you have Division I-AA, you have Division II. So say the amount of kids that are moving on from college and had that same dream that I did if I want to play in the end, I wasn't alone, but I was confident enough to know who was I, what I stood for, what, what my foundation was when I was a child that carried me to, to that point in time, and what I was willing to do both in the past and what I was willing to do in the future to achieve, to achieve those goals, right? So fortunately enough, I was able to. I was drafted 31st overall by the Chicago Bears. Stepped in there. Again, dream come true. Relocate my family. My wife, both and I graduated. We relocate up to Chicago. Never been there before. First day I ever stepped foot in the city of Chicago was for my press conference when I got drafted the following day. Never seen it before. But you know what? Checkbox. I had achieved another goal. And now at this point, I'm starting to say, all right, 
I've had my ups and downs. I've had my games where I didn't play well, where I spent my nights in my dorm saying I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be good enough. So again, you have your turbulent times, right? You have your ups and your downs. But my overall trajectory was always on the incline. And now looking at the time when you feel like, oh my God, am I ever going to wade through this, this storm? You look back and you go, yeah, I did. Because I started down there. And even though it's felt like at times I was going up, going down, going up, going down, riding with every game, every catch, every test score, every mock draft, I made it. So there I was. I was the 31st overall pick of the Chicago Bears in 2007. Went in my rookie year. Had a decent year. Did pretty well. And this last part, this last part of kind of my timeline and my story, but also filling in that third key piece, I believe, in athletic sport life, marriage, is now the passion, right? So who you are as a person, what, what, who are you, what motivates you, what, what qualities, what principles, morals, ethics, what, what drives you, what gets you up in the morning, to, and what guides you to how you choose to live your life in whatever area that is. What's my purpose, of, what's my preparation of, of my process, right? What, what am I willing to do after I identify what I want to do? What am I willing to give up, sacrifice, and what am I willing to do to get there, right? So, again, this isn't revolutionary, right? This isn't like some brand new way to look at goal achievement, and, and it isn't, but this was my way. And now my last piece to that puzzle is all that's great. You can be a good person. You could have good ethics. You could be brought up in the right way. You could have your great goals. You could be the hardest worker. How much does it matter to you? How important was it for me to not just play in the NFL, but to play, to succeed. I could have just said, all right, you called that play. I'm going to run six yards, the turnout. I did my job. Is it, is it more important than yourself? Is it more, that play goes bad and, I, and he doesn't see it, and I turn up and he throws it where I think, and they pick it and we lose. I'll take the heat. It was more important for us to win the game at that moment that I would deal with whatever came from it at the, at the back end. It was more important for me to play at Miami, to get drafted to the Bears, to succeed in the NFL, than anything else up to that point. Because from an early age, all I wanted to do was play. All I wanted to do was make my dad shake his head yes. That's all I wanted. And to this day, it's still my motivating factor of my life. Now, my motivating factor of my life is not... Now I'm no longer just a you know, sixth grade kid making his, trying to make his dad happy, right? I got a wife I need to provide for. I have a wife that I need to know that no matter what happens, she doesn't have to worry about anything. I got three kids that my entire life's purpose, who I am, what I do, and how passionate I am, not now has to be split. Yeah, I put just as much effort into my football career today as I did when I was in high school, college, my rookie year. The difference is now I have a new way of looking at it. I have four people that every day when I go to work are directly dependent upon my success. And I have 52 plus 12 coaches that at a different level, but still are personally dependent on my success. Their lives, their families' lives, their job security is 100% tied to me. To some people, that's scary. To some people, that's too much pressure to put on themselves. But that's life. And I'm willing to accept that 
because it matters to me. It matters to me, first and foremost, when I come home, that my wife and children are cared for, they have what they need. And I'm not talking about the things monetarily, but I'm talking about the, the now, is financial comfort a big part of this? Absolutely. You guys wouldn't be here if it wasn't. But I think we all know through our own personal stories and our own personal trials and tribulations that there's a lot more to that, right? There's a lot more to the family happiness that goes along with not just having a lot of money and going on fun trips to Fort Lauderdale, right? But every day when I wake up, my one goal is what today in my X amount of time that I have allotted to go take care of my business, what am I going to do today to further my career? And by furthering my career, I further my earnings potential and therefore my kids can go to their colleges of choice when my kids get severe life-changing conditions and we need to hire a nurse done and people say man greg how lucky were you i'm extremely lucky but this doesn't just happen i didn't just wake up one day and just be like hey here's the nfl i'm gonna play i make a lot of money my, my kid's sick i can take care of it i can get him the need he has I am blessed to the limbs that I was in a position to do that. But I'm also not afraid to stand in front of you and say that there was a lot of steps along the way, both people helping me, but also personal decisions and choices that had an afterlife that carried forward that allowed me to be in that position to have that opportunity, right? So uh, the idea that, oh, you're, you're lucky, you're lucky you should really, yeah, we are, we all are. You wouldn't be here if you weren't, right? I know the whole deal of who gets to come to this thing. You know, I, I okay, I, to a degree, I don't know how you, I don't know what you do, right? <laughs> I know what you do, I don't know how you do what you do, but I know what your jobs are. But again, don't ever feel bad about that, right? No, none of us are standing up here pounding our chest saying we did this by ourselves, but we're sure not going to stand up here and apologize because along the way, everyone has their opportunities to make success. I was at school at the University of Miami with some of the most talented athletes in the world, more talented than me, run, jump high, could wait. When I'm talking about guys who could just show up and be the best, they, we had a lot of them and we still do. But every year they try to replace you with a new young guy that's some, he hasn't gotten me yet. One day he will. I will not play forever. But one day, that day will come. But until then, people, people say, oh, what if they drafted a young guy to take you? Great. I'm going to make it so hard on that guy to beat me out. Not by how I treat him. Not by what I do. I will help him. But because I'm confident in who I am, what I'm willing to do, and what I have been willing to do to not only get here, but to now even go further. And at the end, how much does it mean to me? If it doesn't mean that much, you're not willing to do as much. So that would be the question that I would leave you guys with is if what you do both as an occupation, as a purpose, but more so who you are, what is your stamp you're going to leave with your family, your friends, your job, whatever your individual dynamic situation is, if it's that important to you that you want to achieve that, and be able to provide that, then, then that's, that, that's it. You wouldn't be here if you weren't the people. And you wouldn't be here if you weren't willing to put in the preparation for process, right? Because this is part of your preparation. This is part of your process, right? So you already got two of the boxes checked. 
or else you wouldn't be in these chairs. And I would be shocked if this if your passion and this desire to to succeed on whatever your motivating factor is wasn't at an all time high. Because, again, I'd say you wouldn't be here. It wouldn't be worth your three days. You'd be content with make whatever you do, whatever level you are. You'd be content. You're here because you're not content. You're here because you're looking for ways to get better. Quick story, and I'll let you guys go. This offseason, so I'm entering my eighth year. For the most part, I've been relatively healthy. Knock on wood. I have played over 100 consecutive games without missing. Without missing. And this offseason, I made, I made a, I was talking to a couple buddies of mine out in Arizona, and um, they were talking to me about this new food intolerance testing. I know, you, I know that seems odd. And I was, I was interested. I didn't have ever really like medical issues or any real reason to do it, right? But I thought, all right, I'm going to look into it. So the more I looked into it, the more it appealed to me, right? Now, what I had done in the past was good enough. I was able to play, start, play every down for the last, play over 1,100 plays the last two years, every year. No problem. So why would I ever, why would I look into new avenues, right? Like why waste my time? Why waste my money? Why waste my, why waste my efforts? So I look into this and the more I read into it, I say, you know what? Even if this helps me 1%, why not? Even if this gets me an extra one year. So in essence, what they do is they come and they draw your blood like a mobile lab unit comes and they draw your blood and they send it out and they test it for all food intolerances, right? So when me and you think of allergies, we think of cough, sneeze, hives, red, oh my God, don't give them peanut butter, right? But their idea is bodies have reactions to things that you put in that they don't want in, right? Simplest terms. Okay, well, let's find out, right? So I'm in a position, I'm in a world where my body and my recovery and my workouts and everything I do on a physical level and mental level is the number one impact on the long-term success and the immediate success of my job, right? Well, if all day through my workouts and through my job, I break down my body, why now every single time I go to eat, should I continue to break down my body? Did it make me fat? No. Did it make me run slower? No. But you know what it did? The accumulation of, of um, inflammation in a human's body has ha, it never really goes, right? Its half-life just continues to go on forever, right? It's from everything we eat, everything we digest, every perfume you inhale, every workout. Everything you do creates some sort of byproduct. The point of my story is, have I ever done it in the past? No, never done it. Ate whatever. Why, so, you, why, so why after eight years, right, just finish out your last couple years, play 10, 12 years, and call it a day? And I'll tell you why. Is it going to make me Superman? Nope. But I'm willing to unter- overturn every rock, stone. I'm willing to try anything that gives me a chance to succeed, a chance to be everything I've always set out to be, and that is the best possible person and player I can be. Not what you think I can be, not what my coach thinks. As long as I am the motivational factor to drive my success, it doesn't matter what everyone else around limits they put on me, labels they put on me, or expectations they put on me. Because no ones are higher than me. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to achieve that. If I fall short, I'm fine with that. I'm not saying 
success versus failure is the gauge that we live our lives by because it's not. But I'm, I want to see just how far I can go. And if I fail, okay, I just wasn't good enough. But you know what? I'm never, ever going to sit back and say, oh, man, I should have tried that. All right? That would have been a good thing to look into. Maybe I wouldn't have been quite as sore in week 15 and you're on a playoff run. And every morning you wake up, it takes you 45 minutes just to get your knees worked up. You know what? Maybe I can take a little off. Am I going to make myself feel like a million bucks? Nope. I'll never feel like a million. I'll live the rest of my life with my left knee hurting. I accept that. But if this one little change this offseason buys me one more year, it's worth it. So that, so to me, that's what this seems like to a lot of you guys. It's, you wouldn't be here if you weren't successful already. So the fact that you're be here means that not only do you know you can achieve higher levels, but you're willing to seek out how to achieve higher levels. And that's what this is. That's what this entire, I, just from being here for a day, I, I get it. I get it. And I think it's amazing. I think that you guys have that much drive that you're willing to not only be successful, but I want to be more successful. And not only be more successful, but I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to be noble. I'm going to be charitable. Right? So, again, we talk about these financial things don't have just ramifications on yourself. It's global, right? It It has a spider web of connections, right? Your contributions as the core leadership now will be brought back to Charlotte, North Carolina and handed over to a children's hospital where families, when they're discharged, who you will never probably ever know because sometimes I don't even know who they are. You'll never know. But guess what? It happens. It's real. You saw one of them in the video. So, again, I I applaud you guys for being here. I thank you for letting me come and share my story. I know I'm not Lou Holtz, right? But I feel like every person... But I feel like every person through their own personal journey has their ups and their downs, has their, has their ways that work and ways that don't work. But at the end of the day, are we continuing to move forward? When, when, I'm going to leave you with one last thing and then I'm really going to let you go. I'm sorry. So that fall of 2013 was the most difficult five months of my life. It seemed like every day I woke up and that normal spirit that I had of, hey, it was it was just continuing to pull me down because I felt, how could I really be that excited and, and have that passion and have that purpose when my son's laying in a hospital room down the street? Like, is anything I do today, where in the past, right, like you have a good day of practice, you'd come home and my wife would be like, oh, so your day was good. Or you have a bad day and you're mad because your plays, the coach doesn't have good plays in for you this week and you mope in. What's the matter? You know, right? So... But I felt like, how dare I ever have that pop in my step? Because no matter how good things were going with football or how excited I was to have that passion to go play and do what I loved, my true passion, my true life was laying in a hospital room down the street. But you know what? That's life. I didn't get to just call in and say, hey, guys, listen, I can't come today. As easy as that would have been, right? So... Again, that was the most difficult challenge I've ever faced as a person. And it came to a crossroads of the two most important things in my world. My family and my dream occupation that I've had since forever. Every goal I've had has been to one day achieve this. And they come to a head. Does one take for the other? Right, so I would never not take my family first. But now how do I let down an entire team, coaches, players, fans, who count on me every day to show up and do a job Again, we talked about it. My success directly impacts the lives of not only my family, but everyone around me and their family. So is that, a, is that something now that they have to sacrifice because I was dealt a tough blow? I didn't think it was.
I didn't miss one practice. I didn't miss one game. The babies happened to be born during a bye week, by the grace of God. I swear to God. How about that? We play six, 17 weeks of the year. You get one off day, one off game. They were born the week of that bye. Just goes to show you. But the point of my story, again, is in, if this is something you want to do, and I'm not just talking about, I'm just talking in life. If life is something that means a lot to you and succeeding at life means a lot to you, there's nothing economic downturns, health, if it, there's nothing that can take away things to good people that do it the right way, with a purpose, and have the passion. If you have those things, you'll find a way to navigate any downturn, to navigate any possible scenario. I've done it. I know a lot of you out there have done it, right? My story is not unique. Everyone out there has their story, and it's no less or more important than mine or Angelo, right? Everyone has their struggle. Everyone has their tough times. But again, who you are, what you're willing to do, and how much does it mean to you? If you have those three things, nothing can ever get in the way of achieving what you choose to. Thank you so much. Daniel, bye on. Okay, good. Can you hear me? Sometimes I can't hear myself. Awesome job, big boy. Thanks. Thanks, so let me ask you a question. Shoot. What's your preparation look like in the off season? So each year is a little different depending on how long the season before goes. So this year we were able to make it pretty deep into the playoffs. Um, so we played well into January. So for this year we take pretty. So we lost to San Francisco in the second round of the playoffs. So our season came to an end there mid mid January. Took rest of January, a good majority of February, and then towards the end of February, Valentine's Day. I always give my wife till Valentine's Day. Sorry, Valentine's Day, we're going to go to dinner, and then the next day I start my preparation for the season, right? So the season does not start September 7th when we open up with Tampa Bay. It goes back way further than that. So starting February, I'll go back. I start my nutritional stuff. I start my diet, start trying to get my body back into How shape. How strict are you with your diet? So I have a chef that prepares my meals um, my lunches and dinners throughout the week for me, makes them at the house and they get kept there. So that way I'm very strict. So I do my blood work every off season. And this, this year I threw in that new test I talked about. And then whatever those readings are, present with, consult with my doctors and, and the chef, and they'll be tailor-made to eat what I want. Now, don't get me wrong. I just had a chicken fingers with my kids out on the pool, right? Cool. So I'm not saying I'm, I, I don't, I'm not saying that we I don't like. I think you're perfect. I'm not, we know we're not perfect. Right. So I, but my thing is during the week, I try to be as strict and try to eat as good as I can because at the end of the day, I can go work out as hard as I want and run, lift, do all that. But I might be just losing this much because of how I'm not only prepared to work out, but how I'm prepared to recover and get ready for the next one. Well, all this is part of step two in your preparation. What's your physical preparation look like in the offseason? So we, we start out pretty much on a... We just kind of get a baseline. So as far as functional movement stuff, we'll start with not a lot of heavy loading, not a lot of beating up the joints, a lot of joint recovery stuff, mobility hurdles in place, mobility stuff. I do yoga, those sort of things. Not a whole lot of running, not a lot of putting joint load on the body. Start. We, you can always do more upper body than you can lower body. So if, you know, we can jump right back into like upper body training. But as far as lower body, it's more range of motion getting the joints, getting everything back in line to prepare you to start that training again to recover from the season before. And then the lower body and the running stuff 
will kind of pick up steam as the offseason. So by now, so we're, three I'm hours a, a day, five hours a day. How much are you working? So this out? time of year, yeah, I'd say four hours. Four you know, hours you're about two hours of field season. work. Two hours of field work. Two hours of what people would say like weight rooms, like actual training inside type stuff. Yep. You know, I remember when my son was sick and in the hospital for eight months. How long was your son in the hospital? He was in for 35 days the first time, then about a week after step two. Hard to go to work during that, isn't it? Yep. How'd you do it? Like I said, you know, it was hard. Our, our stadium is literally like a mile from the children's hospital. So my daily routine would be I would drive. I'd stop in in the morning, say, you know, either my wife or I would have slept there the night before or somebody. And then we would switch. So I would come in the morning, be able to see him, do my thing, go to work from 7 till 6 or whatever time we got done, come, spend some time with him, and then do the shift change again. And it wasn't easy, it wasn't ideal, but that was our normal. That was our situation. My wife stayed in the Ronald McDonald house for eight months. I had two of the children. I got them off to school in the morning. I went to work all day. I picked them up at 3.30. I drove an hour to the hospital. I sat there and worked on the phone, visited my son. My kids did the homework, drove them home that night. You adapt and you overcome. Now, what happens to most people? They feel sorry for themselves, pity party, start giving themselves excuses why they were not able to succeed as opposed to trying to find ways to deal with it and still succeed nevertheless. You overcome and adapt. Every single person in this room has had life obstacles in your path, and they're thrown at your way, and they're really, I look at them as challenges. They're tests from God. Can I overcome this? Can I look at this adversity and go harder? I love his attitude about he could take his time, you know, and coast in his career, but he's finishing really, really hard. I want to take some questions from the audience for him. Who's got a question? Where's my mic? Right there. Okay. Well, that's, that's, yes, that's, my, that's his agent. Wow, his agent's got a question. Right hey, in the Jay. back. Move. Corey in the back. This is Jason Rosenhaus, him and his brother Drew Rosenhaus. Hey, everybody. Agent. Um, everybody knows how hard you work on the field. How much time do you spend watching film of the opponent, studying this week's game plan, uh, studying tendencies of your opponent, studying other tight ends at your position? How much time do you spend cerebrally instead of just physically doing your homework yeah i think that's a great point because this time of year so it kind of it kind of goes like this right like as one goes down one continues to go up so this time of year is mostly physical right you're trying to prepare your mod your body give your mind the break from the daily workouts of you know the daily meetings of installing new plays walkthroughs practice game plans scouting reports who you're playing okay that game's over we start again on Monday, right? And it's kind of like Groundhog Day. But then, like Jason said, as, that, as the season gets closer, our physical demands come down as far as, like, workouts, right? Because you've got to save yourself to be able to get through practice, let alone get through the games. But what you have to make up for and where the good guys can separate themselves is the cerebral aspect of it. Do, can you identify the coverages? If you know that one safety tent is coming down to your side, do you know what that means? You might not be able to see what's going on on the other side of the field, but because of what they're doing here, do you know how the whole rest of the piece of the puzzle fits in on this direction? The only way to do that, film study, get, studying your game plans, being able to go through this so many times, your, prepar- your mental preparation you've gone through so many times that now when that ball is snapped, there's no thinking, there's no... Okay, that came, they scat. 
No. Now it's time. You just got to cut it loose. You got to trust your training. You have to trust your instincts. And the only way your instincts come into play is if you feel that confidence because you've put in the time. Right. So every game that I go into that having that mental ease of I did everything I could to prepare for this game, that the sense of like relief that that comes. And now, you know, you can just go let it go. Some things are going to go good. Some things are going to go bad. But you were prepared for it, right? You were mentally and physically ready to go, and then you can live with the results. You know, you talked about mental attitude, and I watched the Super Bowl. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I did. I'm a big fan. I love watching the coaches interact with the players. That's a big part of what I watch with sports, and I love sports. And I watched them play, and I thought Seattle had a ten-time better attitude the whole game. Did you notice that? Attitude is the number one factor that controls the, the, the atmosphere and the environment of any sort of group. So whether it's a team, whether it's a business, whatever the relation, family, I whatever. Half. I think it's half the equation. I think half is your effort, half is your, half is your attitude about the game. No doubt. And, and your attitude just controls everything about it, right? So those days that you get up and you drive to work and you're just miserable, you don't want to get there, it's rain. Those days don't ever turn out to be your greatest days, right? But the days that it's just amazing how much your mind and how much your, your approach dictates your results. So it's not a mystery. It's not a coincidence that good things happen to people who have good attitudes. Very rare times do you see pessimistic people who are always negative, down, always finding out the heart, the reasons why not. Very rarely do you see. Are there exceptions? Yes, but very rarely. The cups either half full or half empty. And when very rarely. Cups rare, half empty. You're in trouble. You very rarely see those people have long-term sustained success. They might have I mean, peaks. Eight years is a long time in the NFL by your standards, right? Yeah, average career is three years. Three years. You're eight years in. How long do you think you'll play? As long as physically I continue to hold up, I feel like I 12, can play for a while. Years, yeah, long time. Yeah. You know, um, I really watched that Seattle game, and it really seemed like Denver was mentally out of it. When I watched you guys play San Francisco, I saw a similar thing. What would be your response to that game? You guys looked like you weren't so I think, tough enough to beat them. Yeah, see, I think we – no, I don't think toughness was our problem. So for any of you who didn't see that game really fast, what happened, we got off to a really good start. We moved the ball down, got down to the goal line. Oh, no, early on we had a turnover. We had a good drive going. Ball got deflected, intercepted, fluke play, come off the field, like, all right, missed opportunity, had a good thing going. Get the ball back. Drive down the length of the field. We got to first and goal at the one-foot line. Stopped, 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 field goal. Fine. Feeling good. Good drive, got a finish, got a score a touchdown. Great. Get the ball back again. Go down the length of the field. Get down there. We get stopped again. Kick a field goal. All right, guys, good drive. We can move the ball. Our defense is playing great. We have to score touchdowns to beat these guys. Fine. We get the ball again. We go down. And this time we say, we're not, we're not kicking a field goal. We go for it on fourth and goal, and they stop us. So now we had three drives of over 70-plus yards. We got six points. I don't – it wasn't tough enough. We were tough. No, we couldn't stop them. I think it – took the air out of our sails. We said we just did so much effort on the, one of the best defenses in the league. Just to move the ball that far took a huge amount of effort, tired, you had to work your tails off to get it down there. For really now, they score one touchdown before the half, they take the lead. We did all of that work. Their the offense didn't move the ball five yards. We moved it up and down the field. They got one touchdown with a couple seconds left in the first half, and they were up. 7-6, and we're like... We did all. So I think that just 
So it was, was discouraging. Just, it was. And I think, and, and we continued to fight. We continued. It just never seemed like we could just quite get past it. We, Emotionally, it was such yeah, a mess. And then looking back on it after the game, it was disappointing to know like how you had those opportunities early on in those very highly competitive games where the margin for error and the margin of victory is so slim. Yeah. They, made, they, made, they took advantage of holding us, holding us, and then getting it, and we didn't. You know, you said something about playing at Miami that you didn't feel good enough. You know, remember that when you talked early about on, when yep. you showed up early on, you didn't feel good enough. Many times I feel like I'm not strong enough to lead this organization. I'm not strong enough to lead my mortgage company. How many of you felt like that, that you're not good enough for where you are or you don't deserve this is coming? How do you deal with that kind of emotional issue? For yeah. me, I power through it. I'm like, look, God put me in here for a purpose. This is what he wants me to do. By God, do the best you can, and your best is good enough. And i got to emotionally sometimes almost yell at myself to push me through it, to challenge the mountain and get it done. Yeah, and, and I think it's easier said than done. I, I think at all times, us being just human, we have our weak moments. And, and I, I sure do have mine, right? You have a game that either as a team or as a player, you didn't play up to your standards, right? And you say, oh, man. And all of a sudden, that doubt starts creeping in. Uh, all right, so I'll give you a perfect example. First game of the season, we opened up against Seattle, who won the Super Bowl. And I dropped two passes. First game of the season, you've done all this work. The whole, we lost, and I dropped two passes. Would we have won the game? I don't, think it made, I don't think it made or broke the game. Would it have helped? Probably. But it bought, and, that, and it just ate at me, and ate at me, and ate at me. And then you've got to go in on, on Monday and watch the tape. And it's embarrassing, right? You don't want to be that guy that lets everyone down. Now, granted, everyone says, everyone in our world knows that at one point it's them, right? It's a shared thing, so it's never like, look, at, that's not the world we live in. But as a person who takes a lot of pride in doing things well, so then comes Tuesday, it's your day off, and you're thinking about it. All you want is for Wednesday to come, because Wednesday, I went out, this is the God's honest truth, I went out 30 minutes before practice started, I grabbed one of our trainer guys, I went out and bought these K2 footballs that I used to do when I was in college. So they're like little youth footballs. So they're real leather, but they're just small. And I went out and I just made them pepper me with the ball for 30 minutes before practice. And we just caught it. Now, did I have to reteach myself to catch? No. I've caught a thousand balls in my life. Did I have to reteach? No. All I had to do was show myself, listen, this is not a sign of things to come. This is not a sign that you're on your downturn and that you all of a sudden forgot to play and forgot to do what got you here. It's time to it was just a constant reminder. Hey, let's go. Obviously, what you're doing wasn't good enough. Let's find something else we can do. And then the rest of the season, there's no problems. Now, is it because I did those? Is that what taught me to catch again? No, you didn't forget how to do it. You're not, not good enough to do it. It was just that little mental approach, that little mental exercise that now just kind of hits the reset button and just kind of kickstarts you back in gear again. You know, we drill basics here, and I'm really, I'm always sometimes thinking they're looking for grander stuff. It's always the basic stuff that works, isn't it? It is. It's, it's the easiest, the, not the easiest, the correct solution is usually the simplest, at least in, in my world and what I've come to find, you know. Everyone wants to make things super complicated. Everyone wants to show that they do things differently and more it's not at the end of the day our world becomes we have to move the ball from one side and get it into a 10 by 53 yard box right. let's not overcomplicate what this game is it's not it's not nuclear physics i love the movie any given sunday where he said it's all about inches that's it. you know that's the game. you know in four plays you got to go 10 yards if you go 10 yards you get four more it's like so everyone tries to really complicate what we're doing now is it complex would it sound crazy if i started rattling off plays to everybody yes but again, 
it would be the same thing if you all started rattling off your world to me, right? It's, it's all what you know, but at the end, what you know, if you can just simplify it and make it easy to comprehend and easy to execute, you'll usually have long-term success. Will you have failure at times? Yes, but we're talking about long-term gradual success. You know, you've had how many coaches besides your dad? Had a lot. I've had uh, had a head football head coaches. I had my father my whole high school. So you had how many head coaches? Probably five outside of your dad. Yep. Five head coaches. What were some of the differences between them that affected you badly and affected you well? I've been lucky. I've had really good coaching my whole career. So when I got to the University of Miami, our head coach was uh, Larry Coker. He was a, a different approach than my dad. My dad was more of an in-your-face, tough love, hard love, demanding, expected perfection while realizing it wasn't attainable, but expected that out of everyone and became, and therefore, as a result, you expected it out of yourself. So your dad set high expectations. That was his yeah, style. From the moment we were Like massively children. high, like you're like, I can't get there, but you always get there. Yep. And it just continued to pull people up the ranks. And it just continued to pull people up the ranks. So now I got to college. Larry Coker was a different approach. More of a hands-off, positive, um, gr glass half full, you know, just a different approach. Yeah. Won a national championship, so for one to say that's better than another, it, it's probably hard to say. Then I had Lovey Smith in, in Chicago. Couldn't be a more soft-spoken, quieter. People thought he was too, but he had the utmost respect of his players because we knew the type of man he was, what he stood for, and the quality of coach he was. And then Ron Rivera is kind of cut from that same cloth. Everyone says they want to see Ron yell and scream. Ron has 150% respect and has everyone knows he's in charge. He doesn't have to showcase it on the sidelines by ranting and raving to everyone. That's his style. Some coaches do. Jim Harbaugh does. Does run around. Does scream, yell, throw his whistle. Do, and I he like wins. Him, by the way, I do like. And him. he wins. No, I like him. But my point is, what can I say? my point is, if you're good and you have the respect and you can lead men or women. There's a lot of different ways to do it. You know, there's a formula that I like that's kind of out of the Bible, and it says discipline without relationship equals rebellion. And I think you all need to write that down for your teams. Discipline without relationship equals rebellion. You ever had a coach that you didn't have the relationship no, with? I think it's a great, I think that's he awesome. disciplined you, what happened? You put, you, you just you push pushed him away. away. You know, like for me growing up, I never, yep. I never got a lot of love as a child, and so when he disciplined me, which was needed, I always rebelled and acted yep. up. And I think that with your teams and your clients, you can push, like a lot of you I have great relationships with. I can push you really, really hard because we have a relationship. But I think that, you know, when I grew up, I got a lot of discipline, but I didn't get a lot of love. When I had kids, I said, the only thing I'm going to change, I'm going to be tough as nails on my kids, but I'm going to go after them and I'm going to hug them. I'm telling them I'm loving them and why I was mad at them. And that's what I do to you guys a lot. I've got to come back to you and tell you I love you, and this is why I'm beating on you. I think that he had great coaches. Not because they were great coaches, because early on he was taught how to be coachable. That's it. And Being I think coachable is a style of surrender that says, hey, I play for you. What do you want of me? That's a decision that a great athlete and a great businessman always has to make. I, don't, I, think, I think that hits the absolute nail on the head and set me up for my, no matter who I had, no matter who my... Any coach will be good for you. I would have been fine, because you know what, from an early matter. time... My father taught us, whether it was him coaching us or somebody else coaching us, there's no agree, disagree. We, there, that's not the way the world works. So, and again, I'm biased, and I tell people this all the time, and, it, and it's come up most, most recently with people questioning should they let their kids play football.
right? That's been the talk of our country now is should I let my son play football with all this pop? And here would be, and, and again, it touches on this, I promise. My, my, when I meet these people and talk to them, and obviously I'm biased, sports in general is the single greatest lesson, is the single biggest method of teaching children life's lessons than any other activity, school, class in, that, that you can do. Because in what other way do you simulate to a child where it doesn't matter if you like him or dislike him, if you are the same or different, if you are come from the same background or a different background, you agree with his methods, disagree with his methods, he is your superior. What he says trickles down to the framework. And until someone above him decides he's not above you, it doesn't matter what you think because you are not in control of it. And that's life. And the problem with the way our country is going now is everyone wants to have... Everyone wants to have their individual point of view on how things should be done. And there's a bunch of Indians and no chiefs, right? And in no other aspect of society from a young age can you simulate real-world dynamics than on an athletic team. You have one goal, and you come from different backgrounds, both socioeconomically, racial, whatever, everything. You have one goal. You play for someone some of you like, some of you don't like. And what he says goes, it doesn't matter what your response is and what you think. If you're not good enough, you will be replaced. It's, it's just represents society as a whole. And I think you cannot, whether your kids ever play at a high level or not, you cannot teach that through anything other than athletics. How do you feel about the new style about participation trophies? I personally hate them. I can't stand them. Johnny gets a trophy for showing up when he can't even kick the ball. Okay. I, I just I don't understand how soft Americans gotten that we have participation trophies. Well, now it becomes it. Ex so now what happens is it's not the, children, the the kids' fault, right? So that's the that's the setup that we teach them, and now as they continue on through life, their entitlement expectation is through right. the roof. Right. So now what happens is they they don't know any different, so they expect that. So now they expect when they try out for the team, while you made it. Because, so, again, I always go back to personal stories because I think it, it's the easiest thing for me to talk about. Growing up, me and my brother were always on the same team because we were so young. And the truth be told, our dad was our coach. The two of us were on the same team. It was a small town, so it wasn't a million good athletes. And our teams, because we were always on, brothers were always on the same teams, we always won almost everything. And people would be like, oh, the the difference was our father on Tuesday nights when our homework was done during basketball season, if we didn't have practice organized with our sixth grade coach, had us over at the high school he worked at and we were and he was making us do dribble drills and layup drills. And, and during the summer, we would go to sleepaway camp with his high school as fifth and sixth graders and go to camp while our kids were at the while our friends were at the pool swimming. So it, it wasn't unfair. We were doing things that you weren't willing to have your children do. So our children, so we would take your children's spots on the team. So don't get mad at us. And at the time, you didn't enjoy it. What's that? At the time, you probably no, didn't enjoy I was that in discipline. But, but when you're now, in, you look back and you say, "Wow, thanks for being a son of a But if you were to say that to my dad, and to this day, he'd say the same thing. Now he's retired and now boating and being yeah. a grandfather, a little different. At, but his thing is, well, you got to let the kids find what they like. They don't know what they like. <laughs> My son is three, and I'm going to introduce him to all these sports. People are like, oh, you got to let your kid find. He's three. If I tell him he's going to play football, basketball, croquet, or we're going to go buy, he doesn't know the difference. I agree. You introduce him to things, and through your life lessons of teaching him as a parent, 
then they start navigating their own way. But to think that they're all of a sudden, we have to start bathing them and holding their hands. It's, I don't know. Anyway, I next question. Listen, I think that, you know, early on, when I first was exposed to a God life and a Christ life, I heard people always say that God moves mountains. And later on, as I became older, I realized he moved mountains, but you've got to bring the shovel. And that means you've got to do the work. And your dad taught you how to do the work, and he's still doing the work every single day. You had a question in the back? Let's get, get that microphone back there. It's actually me. Oh. I can't see that far back. Give it to that girl next to you. Uh, we teach a lot about, you know, our teens and leadership. So if I could just go back to that for a second. And you're talking about discipline and, you know, Still loving those who work for you and showing your appreciation. Greg, could you just share? He didn't share? say that. Close. Am I being too mean to you, Casey? Is that what you're insinuating? Yeah. No. You're awesome. But, Greg, do you mind sharing how TJ got his name? I think it's a good, I think it's a good story. So our oldest son's name is Tate, which has no real reason other than my wife liked it. And we thought it was a cool name but it doesn't have any family significance or anything for that matter. And when we found out, and we always said, when we found out, when we, found out we were having twins, we were like, you know, we were struggling with names, and we'd always said for a long time that if we had a daughter, we'd want to name her Talbot. And we're like, okay, so if we have a boy, we've got to come up with the T, right? So we said, all right, we're going to name him Trent. We're going to, we can't have one not have a name with the T. I know. And our dogs are Toby and Taylor. So oh, my God. Don't you judge are a me. Yuppie. Don't judge me. It's all my wife's fault. Wow. But so we had TJ's name originally was going to be Trent. It was going to be Trent, Tate, and, T- and Talbot. We felt good about that. And um, so then we got the diagnosis. And, um, and, you know, again, we're not going to go down that road. But you guys know the whole story about that. We're on our way to Boston to go see if we were candidates for a, routine, for a very state-of-the-art new treatment called fetal cardiac intervention, which is a very new, somewhat controversial-slash-experimental thing where they, through a needle into the woman's belly, they can open up those valves and try to undo the hypoplastic so left heart. It'll open up those two valves. Blood flow will now go through, and the left ventricle will then catch up to the right, and theory be born whole. A couple kids, it's worked on very. Anyway, we went up there. We were on our way up there when I received a phone call from an unknown number on my phone. And um, so again, I had gotten traded to the Carolina in 2011. This was May of 2012. So six, eight months, nine months, whatever that is. And I get a call. And for those of you who live in North Carolina, you know who Jerry Richardson is, our team owner. And you know how he talks. And I just answered. I said, hello. Now, we're literally in the airport heading to Charlotte Douglas Airport. And I said, Greg, it's me. And I immediately knew who that meant. I said, hey, Mr. Richardson, thanks for calling. First thing he says, I'm sorry I didn't call sooner. I just found out. Literally 24 hours had not passed. And this was a man who at this point, I didn't know on a personal level, I was, I, he employed me, he owned my team, and he signed my contract, and I played for his team. That was the extent of our relationship. I had a positive thought of him, but I didn't know him much personally. He calls me out of the blue. 
again, says, I'm sorry for not calling sooner. I will be accompanying you on your trip to Boston, if that is okay with your family. Can you meet me at my plane at 6 o'clock? Wow. Wow. I said, of course. Anybody who's flown with children commercially, like we all do, (laughs) is not going to pass up the opportunity to fly on a private jet. So I said, of course. So we, we drive home. And now I'm like, oh, you know, like, so you have so much stuff going through your head. So we, we meet him at the airport. And at the time, Tate is less than a year old. He's just about to be a year. He's 11 months. And Mr. Richardson comes walking into the plane. And long story short, for the next 48 hours, through every doctor's visit, through every consultation, our return trip home to our team here that we met back in, you know, in Charlotte, he did not leave our side. And, and now, was it the private? It wasn't... It wasn't that he was willing to give us his resources. Give you his heart. He was willing to give us his heart and his time for a person who owed me nothing on a personal level, right? Like, our relationship was, you pay me and I render you a service. Period. He's the ultimate team leader. You are now one of my family. That's how he treated you. And his first name is Jerry. And, and my wife and I got home and... And uh, a couple months later, um, a grandmother figure to my wife uh, passed away who uh, helped raise her, and um, her name was Jerry. So we said, how great would it be if in honor of Mr. Richardson and, and, and in honor of your grandmother figure, Talbot's middle name is Jerry, G-E-R-I, and TJ's name is Trent Jerry. And we just call him TJ. And we went and told Mr. Richard, we said, in our lowest time, at our time where we were just at our lowest as a family where we didn't know which way to turn someone who didn't owe us anything, someone who did not need to sacrifice their time, energy or resources did. So he cleared his schedule for two days to not just say, here are the keys to the car head. Let me know how it turns out to be by our side through those horrible consultations with these doctors who are painting a very grim picture to this day. And never they say when you have this, when your kid has this problem, Here's what the doctor says. Your son will probably not make it. Is that what they told you? The first question they said to us before that was, are you considering terminating your baby? Yes. 50% of children born. So when we talk about these survival figures, they're not count- They're talking about the babies that are born. Right. 50, if you factor in the 50% who are never brought to life, right. these numbers forever change. But that's a whole other argument for another day. <laughs> but anyway, the moral is someone who gave us such a big piece of his world at, the, at a time that was not a family member, not someone who you would expect to, did it anyway. And we felt forever now TJ has a part of him on a bigger picture. If, if TJ's half a heart can be as good-hearted as Mr. Richardson was at our biggest time of need, we never have to worry about him going forward. He'll be a good enough person that everything will take care of itself. Well... One question. Here we go. Go ahead. My question for you is, when you're on the field, you are surrounded by thousands of distractions. What is one or a few of the things that you do in order to keep yourself in the zone, in the game, on the field mentally, um, and not let those distractions affect you and affect the job that you're doing? I think it's a good question, and I'm not really sure I have the perfect answer. Um, you know, so like she said, there's so much going on. And for those of you who played sports, I don't care at whatever level, can all relate to, and, or even not through sports, there's a time when your, your sole focus is so 
tunnel toward a particular goal or towards a particular job, that it almost takes care of itself. Like, I feel like that's kind of weird description of it. But when you're out there, your job is so important to the success of that next play that as you all, if every time you move forward to that next play, because that is the end all be all of the right. So we don't think of 20 plays down the play. We're thinking, right. all right, right now, our main focus is success of this play. Now, that success might mean we gained four yards. Right. But now we only need six. But we used to need 10. So we're getting closer yeah. because our focus is so driven towards that goal of success by each play. Clean the slate success or failure. Clean the slate that that approach almost doesn't allow you to even realize what's going on around you. And so to be honest with you, when we're out there, you hear noise. You don't really hear anything in particular. You don't really see anything particular. You kind of know it's there in your periphery. But all you see is the 22 people that are on that field at the same time. And then as you're, if you've done it like anything over a long enough time, it just kind of happens. It's just kind of moment. You're you just do in, what you do. Focused on what you do, like you all yeah. do, and you get it done. Yeah, I know that sounds like a bad answer, but to be honest, there's really it's nothing particular. It just, it's your natural element, and it just kind of takes care of itself. Last thing I want to ask you: Do you think about after football? Are you starting to have that thought so now? That here's my theory on thoughts after football, and people tend to have different viewpoints on it. And people always say that, that athletes, well, you, you know, what's your fallback plan? You know, guys will, like, say this to you, like, in the gym, or, like, at the locker room at, like, the fitness club. They'll be like, hey, so what's your fallback plan? I don't have a fallback plan. Because I'm a firm believer that if you prepare for plan B, you're taking away from plan A. When you are, so they're like, you know, all these kids, that, you know, guys that say, oh, well, these kids that are going to school for football, you know, what are they doing to prepare? They're, going, they're trying to be football players. If that day comes, and it will come, I will be fine. Because, A, what I've learned through my life up to this point will allow me to then adapt and put my approach, put my processes, what I am, just towards another avenue. So you stay focused in this, and when this is over, you'll focus on the next I one. will. And, and to say that it never crosses my mind that, hey, you know, what? but I'm just a big believer that nothing I'm going to do, I'll put it this way, nothing I will do will take away from plan A by planning for plan B. Cool, I love and it. when that time comes for plan B... I'll be ready and I'll handle it as it comes. But the second your efforts, instead of 100% being towards me being a football player and maybe now 20% start going elsewhere, yeah, is 80% probably good enough? But I'd rather be 100. And I'm just, you know, when, when someone's going to law school, that's it. When someone isn't going to law school, they're not also trying to be a plumber. Greg Olson, people, give it up to him. Good job. Good job. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Sure. yeah, thanks. Cool. All right. Thank you, Greg, very much. Thanks. All right. Great job. Thanks. All right, now let's do some work. Sit down and get out a piece of paper. So the first thing he talked about was who you are as a person. Let's write out who you are. I want details, ten bullet points. Who are you? Maybe not how you always show up, but who are you at your core? Who are you? Next, I want to talk about what is your preparation. I eat five meals a day. I work out twice a week. I get eight hours of sleep a day. We've reviewed the itinerary of this event 15 times, line by line, break by break, lunch by lunch. We are always exactly on time. We are where we're supposed to be when we're supposed to be there. 
What is your preparation look like? Last thing I want you to work on. What are you going to accomplish? And how passionate are you about it? What are you going to accomplish? He decided, I'm going to play for my dad, be a high school football player, win the state championship. I'm going to play at a Division I college. I love the fact that he wasn't thinking next, next, next. He's focused right on the goal in front of him. It's got to be a purpose-driven goal. And what are you willing to do to get there? Now listen, we're in the home stretch. It's the last quarter, okay? You're finishing really strong. I'm very proud of you how present you are. I'm very proud of you and very excited to finish with you. So listen, if you're going to act like a champion, you're going to play like a champion, you're going to have the results of a champion. That was truly a champion. I mean, this was a guy in the moment, right now, playing football at a high level, pro bowl football player, catching a lot of catches, making big money, trying to finish his career as strong as he can. So listen, stay with me. Stay in the game to the end. Now you can go take a break. You've been listening to the Corps Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.lacourtraining.com.